I opened my Bible for my regular Bible reading and opened up to Psalm 136. And so I would like if you would open to Psalm 136 because it wasn't by my design. I uh, read the Bible in a, a particular way that is not accord, according to any calendar uh, specific um, instigation or anything like that. I just happened to open up to Psalm 136. Psalm 136 and uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good is how it starts. And so I was encouraged by that. And I thought, you know, this is uh, this is exactly what we want to camp on. So I know we're moving into the Advent season. We're moving into celebrate Christmas where uh, God has sent his son to uh, redeem sinners like me into his kingdom. And uh, but I want to spend just this time talking about Thanksgiving. So. Let me read this chapter, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. So Psalm 136, right smack in the middle of your Bible. And you'll notice there's a, a theme kind of to this psalm. And if, if you don't notice that, you probably should pay a little bit more attention because it's right there. All right, Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever, and gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his steadfast love endures forever. Father, we do thank you today. We thank you for the amazing, abundant, 
countless blessings that you've given us in our lives. We thank you for the way you take care of us. You provide for our needs. We thank you for the breath that we get to have, the air that we get to breathe. We thank you for our families. We thank you for the million ways you bless us that we don't even think of, that you bless us with every day. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we get to be reconciled to you, that we don't have to be um, separate from you because of our sin, but that because of Christ, we get to be united with you. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. Lord, this morning as we turn to your word and as we turn to these themes, I pray, Lord, that you would grow in us uh, a greater gratitude towards you in our heart, that we would recognize the great and mighty things that you have done on our behalf because your steadfast love endures forever, that we would abound in thanksgiving to you, that we would treat one another with grace and with mercy because of the way you've blessed us. Father, we need you. We need you this morning by your spirit. And so we pray that you would come and speak to us through your word. I pray that you would uh, use even my weak voice to proclaim truth from scripture, truth from you, encouragement for our souls, that you would do a work in our midst by your spirit, that this would not be just another uh, time that we pass together or just just another um, a thing that we do on our weekly calendar or something like that, but that it would be a time when you have visited us to speak to us and to move in our hearts. I pray that you would do that. We invite you, we honor you, and we look for you. This is your word. These are your people. This is your building. I pray by your spirit you would do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in your bulletin, you should have an outline for uh, this week's message, and it's a pretty simple outline. Normally, I get a little bit more complex, but this time I didn't. It was kind of straightforward. And so you have that there. It's kind of a little bit of a guide. It's uh, it's to help you. You can take notes there, write down different passages or uh, questions you have or whatever. But that's what that is for. We're going to be talking about Psalm 136. And I was amazed as I was reading through this just how much and in how many different ways God blesses his people. And I love again and again when you read particularly the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, you read uh, through the Old Testament and they will actually recount the history of God's dealing with the people to encourage themselves and to encourage the people they're writing to. That God has shown himself faithful. See, remember when he did such and such? He's still faithful. And remember when he did this for the people and delivered them? He still does that. And when he took care of the people in this situation, that's the same God. He hasn't changed. And we see that again and again in Scripture. We see the uh, whoever's writing, we see God using them to remind us of what God has done. And it's no different in this passage here. It's no different in Psalm 136. I have listed as an introduction there verses 1 through 3. And that's because you can see that they're a little bit different from, from what's going to follow in this passage here. If you, if you look at the first three verses there, it says, give thanks to the Lord. And if you'll notice in your Bible, it probably has Lord in all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? That's all caps. That's not the normal, uh, the normal font. And I'll tell you why. So it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Now, look at Lord here. 
It's not all caps. It shouldn't be. It, it may, may be capitalized, but it's a capital L only. So give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his steadfast love endures forever. What he's doing is talking about identifying who this God is we're talking to. Identifying just just which God it is, because particularly in the, the time that the psalmist was living, there were people, neighbors, who worshipped other gods, right? Literally worshipped other gods. And and they had their different, the God of the mountains and the God of this and the God of the sea and the God of the storms and all this. And they had all these different gods, right? And so he's kind of identifying. Now, let's let's just be clear what God we're talking about. We're not talking about Baal or we're not talking about the God of the sea or we're not. Ta- we're talking about the Lord. And why is it all in caps? Well, it's all in caps because it refers to the Lord's proper name, Yahweh. But for the for the Hebrews, that name Yahweh was so holy that they wouldn't even pronounce it. And so they knew it. And the Lord gave Moses, uh, the Lord gave Moses his name on the mountain. He said, he said, I am Yahweh. I am. I am right. Tell him I am has sent you. Uh, and so for a time they used the, the name Yahweh, but then after a while that name became so holy to them that they stopped using it. And so even though it was in scripture and it's written like Yahweh, when they see it, they automatically switch in their, their minds and they say, not Yahweh, but they say Adonai, which means Lord. And so even when I was learning Hebrew 10 years ago or so, when, when I was reading, I was so trained that when I came to the word Yahweh, I pronounced it Adonai. That's how holy it's considered. And so that's why here you have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's referring to God's name, God's self-existence. Yahweh means something like I am or I am that I am, meaning I'm not dependent upon someone else, God says. His existence doesn't depend on any other thing or any other person. If you think about yourself, your existence depends upon that next breath you get to take. It depends upon your heart continuing to beat, right? It depends upon gravity not suddenly dissolving so that you explode or something, right? We're dependent upon many things to continue existing, but not the Lord. The Lord is self-existent. No one created him. He didn't come about. He always has been, and he's unchanging. He's the self-existent one. That's, uh, that's his proper name. And so that's why it's all in capitals there. And there, there might be some Bible translations that will say Jehovah or Yahweh. And that's, it's, that's what they're referring to is that uh, his proper name, which means Lord. So this is the Lord we're talking about. We're not just giving thanks to any old God or some vague concept of God. We're giving thanks to the God of the Bible who has revealed himself. We're giving thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Now, we're, for church people, we're kind of used to this construction where they say the God of gods or the King of kings or the Lord of lords. We're kind of used to that, right? That's, that's pretty normal for us. But that's only because we're used to reading the Bible. It doesn't, we don't really have any other contact with it in, in our language except for what we get from the Bible. And what, what it means is, if you imagine a group of gods, right? So we're looking here at verse 2, a bunch of gods, okay? They're not real gods, but they're all imagined, all possible gods. And who is the one who is superior to them all who is the god of gods and that's who we're talking about right we're talking about god who is higher than any perceived or imagined god he is above any other deity than any other nation any other neighbor might have 
He is the God of gods. He is overall. He is superior to them all. He is infinitely superior to any so-called gods. He's the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Now, you notice it's not capitalized. It's because it is actually the word Adonai, not Yahweh. And so what it means here is Lord is someone who's the ruler, who's the authority, who's the sovereign one, right? Well, imagine all the lords you can and put them in a group. All the people who who have power, maybe kings, maybe maybe gods, anyone who exercises power, authority, who would be considered a lord. Imagine that entire group and then who is superior, infinitely superior to all of them. It's the Lord of Lords. It's the God of the Bible. He's the one who is actually sovereign. He's the one who's actually uh, in charge of everything that goes on. He is above it all. He is unrivaled. He's almighty God. He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. So that's just to get us started. Who we're talking to, okay? This is who we're talking about here. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, I want us to keep in mind a couple of things. That refrain that you hear again and again, for his steadfast love endures forever, it, it seems like it would be the main point and the thrust of the whole psalm, right? Because it's repeated so much. And it's, of course, extremely important. But that little word that comes at the beginning of that phrase, for, F-O-R, means that it is the foundation for something else. And so if you look at a building, let's say you're building your own building, your own house, you're going to put some work into the foundation because you want it to be right. And you want it to be straight. You want it to be true. You want it to be solid and all of that stuff. But is the foundation the point? The house is the point. You don't pour a great foundation and then go live on that foundation. No walls, no roof, right? You don't do that. You pour a great foundation and then you build a house on top of it, right? And that's what's going on here. So he wants us to know and be reminded again and again and again how important the foundation is, the foundation of God's steadfast love that endures forever. It's the foundation, but it's what's built on top that's important. And what's built on top throughout this whole psalm? I know we haven't covered the whole thing yet, but what's built on top? Give thanks. For this reason, give thanks. For this reason, for this reason, for this reason. In Hebrew, this psalm is called the great thanksgiving. And I think that makes sense. For all of these reasons, give thanks to God. That should be our proper attitude towards him. If I'm properly understanding what God has done in my life, I'm not going to fuss at him because he didn't give me this extra thing that I wanted. If he's really good, like it says he is, I'm not going to complain to him because he didn't give me this other thing that I thought also was good. I'm going to be thankful for the way he's taking care of me, right? And that is, that's the, the argument of this psalm here. His steadfast love endures forever as evidenced by all of these things that we're about to talk about. And so what do we do? What's the response? The response is to give him thanks, to give him thanks. And so I think uh, it's a wonderful thing that we celebrate Thanksgiving. It's a wonderful thing. And, and there, there is no secular reason to celebrate Thanksgiving. If you don't believe in God, what are you giving? Who are you giving thanks to? What are you giving thanks to? Well, the food appeared again. 
I guess, uh, you know, the mother nature saved the day again. I don't know. No, there is no secular reason for us to have Thanksgiving. But there is a very biblical reason, and it's right here. All right, so look at verses 4 through 9. So he's talking about giving thanks. He's identified who we're talking to, right? The God of the Bible, what he's like. And he says in verse 4, To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. What he's talking about there is creation. He's talking about God is the one who authored creation. He's the one who put this whole thing together. He's the one who designed gravity so that I get to stand here instead of floating off somewhere, right? He's the one who designed the working of our bodies so that our heart pumps again and blood goes to my brain again. He's the one who designed that we'd be able to breathe and put oxygen in the atmosphere. He's the one who created all of this and made it work for his steadfast love endures forever. He designed a place for us to live. And it doesn't always seem wonderful. We just sent my mother-in-law back to Canada and it was minus some ridiculous number was the temperature up there and bad roads and and ice and snow. And we thought, you know, better her than us. But uh, I know that's mean. When she visits here in, in June or July, though, she really can't wait to go back to normal weather that they have up there instead of the furnace that we get. But he, God made this place for us to live, and we get to enjoy it. We get to live here, not, not just enjoy it as in, boy, that's fun, but as in it makes it possible for us to live. The sun came up today, and we can see again. And when it goes down tonight, there will be stars in the sky, and there will be a moon, and it lights it up, and you can see again. And the whole thing functions with the whole the tides and the seasons and all that stuff. God designed that. God put that together. And I want to point out just a few things uh, that we that we can draw from the fact that God is sovereign in creation, the fact that he made everything, first of all, is his power. Just think about any other being who has the power to have created everything from nothing. Of course, there is none. There's no other being like that. He has the power to do that, to make the universe, to make all worlds. He spoke them into existence. That's the power that he has. That's amazing. That's incredible. We fiddle around and try and create stuff and try and make things, and we're pretty limited. And, you know, I mean, we, we make giant buildings and giant ships, and we do all kinds, send people into space and, and all kinds of things like that. But it's, that is nothing compared to the fact that he created it all, and we just get to play in it. So it demonstrates his power. It also demonstrates his creativity. When you, when you look at a new flower or a new kind of fruit, I don't know if you've, if you've traveled to different parts of the world and you just go to the supermarket, it's a lot of fun, and look at the fruit. Like, what in the world is this thing? I've never seen anything like this. Like a kid drew it, you know, and it's something that people eat. God is creative. He's creative. And, and for people who are into science, the, the, the closer you look at the human body or at life, the more fascinating it gets. Or the farther back you back off and look at the whole design of the universe, the more fascinating it gets. God is creative. It's amazing what he has done in creation. 
And ultimately, he's preeminent over it all. He's powerful enough to make it. He's creative enough to, to design it and make it work again. The sun, you know, is there. The, moon, or the, the earth went around it yet again, you know, and we had the seasons repeat again, and the earth is spinning, and day and night happen. To, it all works. And that is God creating it, and yet what I want us to pull from that is that God is preeminent over it. He's sovereign over it. He's, he's over the whole thing, and it's, uh, he's, he's not bound to it, but he is sovereign over it. He is not a part of it as if he were created. He's sovereign over it. And so for you and for me, here's the point I want to make. He has absolute right to make demands on creation. We are subject to him. He's the one who made us. We didn't make ourselves. We're subject to him. And so he's preeminent over us and he has every right to make demands of us his creation. He has every right to have expectations of how we live, of what we do and what we don't do because he's the creator. He's sovereign over us. Let's continue on in our, in our Psalm here, starting in verse 10 to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And what's he talking about there? Of course, that refers you back to Exodus, right? Exodus meaning the, the coming out or the, the, uh, the leaving, the departure, right? So that's the nation of Israel, of course, had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 and something years. They'd been there a long time. They were extremely numerous and they were held down. They were oppressed. And God said, I'm going to deliver you and take you out of there. So he sends Moses, right? And Moses is going to bring them out. And you remember that whole process. If you, I've, I've talked before about uh, the Ten Commandments, the movie, The Ten Commandments, which is you know, um, Hollywood's version kind of, of how this came about. Now, fortunately it's Hollywood's version from the sixties and not from nowadays. So I would hate to see what they would come up with now maybe, but, but it is kind of a picture for us. And it kind of gives us the idea of these plagues, these different things that God brought about to make Egypt want to get rid of the nation of Israel. And then God brought this whole people, Israel, who had been slaves in Egypt by these great miracles and plagues and things he did, he brought them out of Egypt, right? He took them to the Red Sea, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and on into the land, right? And so that's what's going on. This is, this is um, a thousand years, 1,500 years before Christ, right? And so this is, this is a long time ago, but, but what he's talking about is this story of the Exodus and how God brought the people out. And look what he says in verse, verse 10. So we're to give thanks, remember? That give thanks kind of, Plugs in almost to every line. So he says, give thanks, back in verse 1. Well, to whom? Well, verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Do you remember the ten plagues? I, I couldn't name them off all to you right now, but there, I mean, there were gnats, and there was the river turning to blood, and there were boils, and, and there were darkness, and there was, you know, hail that, you know, that came down and, and killed cattle and all kinds of stuff. All kinds of these plagues that were obviously God working and pronouncing judgment on the nation of Egypt. The goal of those plagues was so that Egypt would finally get to the point where they would say, okay, Israel can go. All these Hebrews can leave. Let's just let them go because God's not going to give us a moment's rest until they're gone, right? That was the goal of those plagues. That was one goal. Another goal was to show that God is superior to all of their gods because each of those things, the gnats and the river and the boils and all that kind of stuff, it represented the, the gods of the Egyptian people. And God was showing, oh yeah, you have a God of the gnats? I'll do what I want with gnats. I don't have to worry about your God of the gnats. Oh, the Nile? Oh yeah, it's a powerful river and there's, you have the God of the Nile. Watch this, I'll do whatever I want with the Nile because I'm superior. 
right? So God's doing that again and again to all of their gods. And you remember the final one? The final one's the Passover. And he warned them and he said, I'm going to come through on a certain time at midnight and, and the angel of death is going to come around to the houses and he's going to take the firstborn from your families. Now there's a way you can escape it and he gave the way to escape. Remember that the lamb, they had to take this lamb, they had to kill the lamb and they had to put the blood on the doorposts and when the angel of death would pass by, <clears throat> he would see that blood there and he would pass by that house and he wouldn't take the first, he wouldn't kill the firstborn, right? So he gave them a way out. But what happened to the Egyptians? They didn't take that way. It wasn't. They lost their firstborn. So verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And what was the result of that? Remember, God had given so many warnings. He had given so much preparation. He had given all of this. uh, uh, He was telling them what was going to happen. And he was warning them, warning the Egyptians. You don't just let the people go. You don't have to go through this next plague. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. It was Pharaoh was the main problem. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. So finally, it got to the point where the discipline got severe. And God said, I'm going to take your firstborn. And he did. And the result, the Egyptians said, go, leave, right? And so they packed up their stuff and they left. And there's a lot more to that story, but we'll move on. Verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them. So that's how God delivered them for his steadfast love endures forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. So God was showing his might for his steadfast love endures forever by saving the nation of, of Israel in such a way to him who divided the Red Sea in two. You remember as they were coming out and they came up to the Red Sea and they there were hundreds of thousands of, of the Hebrews the nation of Israel, there's hundreds of thousands of them standing at the Red Sea and there's water in front of them and Pharaoh's army chasing them down behind because Pharaoh changed his mind, decided to get them back. So Pharaoh's army is chasing them down behind. They got the water in front. God parts the Red Sea and they get to walk across it for his steadfast love endures forever. He delivered them so that they could walk through. Verse 14, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever. A a crazy miracle that that he did to save the people. Verse 15, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. So Pharaoh and his army, they're no dummies, right? If, uh, you know, if the nation of Israel can pass through this, this uh, water that's been divided and the, the, the Hebrews, the nation of Israel, they're escaping, they're getting away, you know, just chase them down, stick with them, right? But as they're in the midst of it, God brings the waters crashing back down on top of the the Egyptians on Pharaoh and his army. To him who overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. God has shown his people again and again how faithful he is. And he does that in redemption. He is redeeming his people from slavery calling them out, bringing them out of slavery. And so for us, we need redemption too. And he redeems us too for his steadfast love endures forever. The redemption is a little bit different for us. We're not in slavery in some nation. We're not, we're not under the, the authority of Egypt, right? We're not, we're not slaves in that sense, but we are born slaves to sin. And God is not content to leave it that way. And he sends his son who is killed on our behalf so that 
when we put our faith in him, when we trust in him, when we turn to him, we can be forgiven of the sin that we're enslaved to, right? That's the redemption that he offers. And it's offered to us now. He, he, he physically and literally and politically redeemed his, his people, Israel, from the nation of Egypt and brought them out. And he wants to redeem us as individuals. And I know many of us in here are, are, are believers. And, and this needs to be the, the message that we take to the people around us is this redemption that is offered. Israel did not deserve to be redeemed. God decided I will redeem them. And I didn't deserve to be redeemed. God decided he would redeem me. And so he sent his son to pay the penalty for my sin. To pay the penalty for your sin. And by looking to him and by trusting him, by putting him on, the Bible says, I can receive his righteousness. I can be redeemed. In a sense, if you remember the the story of the Passover, the angel of death will pass by me because there's already blood on the doorpost. Jesus' blood. Jesus has already died for me so that I can be redeemed. And then I get to be delivered and I get to be set free. I get to be made a child of God. I get to be given new life. I'm no longer enslaved to sin. I no longer owe that penalty for my sin. That's the redemption that he offers for us. For his steadfast love endures forever. I hope you never read this psalm the same again. Let's continue on. I hate to keep moving, but we have to keep moving. Verse 17. To him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever and killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, I'm sure all of you said, oh, yeah, Sihon, king of the Amorites. Oh, yeah, I remember that, right? I I know exactly what what he's talking about, right? I had no idea. (laughs) I was telling the the, uh, high school, Sunday school this morning that as far as tools go, the single best tool for interpreting scripture tool is a concordance where you can look up where these words appear, right? Sihon, no idea, no clue. I could have gone and asked Woody. He probably would have told me or someone else would have told me, right? Or I could have Googled it. But even Google, all Google is doing is searching scripture for that word. So if in the back of your Bible, most of you will have a concordance. Mine is a pretty limited concordance, right? And I also have an actual book form concordance because in the old days, as I told the high school students, we used to read paper and it's a concordance. And they were like, how do you use this thing? They really had no idea. But it it lists all the words. And so you can look up Sihon because you got no idea. So you look him up and you'll find him in scripture, right? For those of you who, I guess that's everybody probably who has either a smartphone or access to the internet, you can, there are, there are apps or websites that you can go to, to search for Sihon. And see what the Bible says, right? Bible apps, Bible websites I'm talking about. Don't, I'm not sure what would come up if you just Googled Sihon. I have no idea and I can't be held responsible for that. <laughs> However, when you look it up in a concordance, <laughs> what you will find is references uh, in numbers. But then what I'd like you to write down, uh, well, Deuteronomy chapter 2 and Deuteronomy chapter 3. Because of time, I will tell you the story instead of reading them to you. But uh, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and then Og, king of Bashan is the next one, right? I had no idea who these guys were. But if you go back to where we are in our story, right? The nation of Israel, the Hebrew people have been delivered from Egypt. They've come through the Red Sea. They've gone into the wilderness, right? And now they're approaching the land. They're going to go into the land, right? And so they go around, they go around 
to the east of the Jordan. That's east. Is that east for you? No, that's west. Anyway, they go around the, the, the uh, east side of the Jordan and they're, they're approaching the land and they send word to Sihon of the Amorites. All right. So remember how many people there were in the nation of Israel, hundreds of thousands, millions, maybe millions. All right. So that's a big group. And so they, they are approaching the border to, to uh, Sihon's land and they send word to him and they say, okay, we're going to pass through. We'd like to pass through your land. And here's our deal we'll make with you. We will stay on the road. We won't, we won't go off into the fields. And not only that, but as we're traveling through and we need food, we will buy food from you. Okay, so we're not going to trample your pastures or your orchards or your vineyards or anything else. We're going to buy food from you. Okay, and uh, the only thing we'll take is water. They were going to drink water as they went. Not a bad deal, right? Sihon doesn't like it. So he gathers up an army and he goes and fights them. Decides to fight them instead. And what do you think happens? God wins. Okay, that's the theme of the Bible, by the way. God wins. Just, you know, it's easy. If someone asks you what the Bible's about, God, God wins. So the, the people do, do battle with Sihon and they defeat him. And what happens to his lands? I, I love it. It's almost ironic. It's almost ironic the way it's worded there in Deuteronomy chapter 2. Because he says, you know, you remember this, this initial deal. Hey, we're going to stay on the road. We're not going to trample your pastures and we'll buy food from you. At the end of the battle, because Sihon didn't like the deal, at the end of the battle, God gives them all of his land. And they go into all of his land and it's theirs. I just love the irony of that. Hey, we were going to stay on the road, but you didn't like the deal, so we'll just take everything. Okay, so their, their land becomes, uh, Sihon's land becomes their land. And then Og of Bashan, right? So Og is a next door neighbor. And Og was a big giant of a man, right? He's, he's a next door neighbor. He's, he's the king there. And he didn't like what happened. So he comes to do battle with him. He didn't even wait for an offer of a deal or anything like that. He just decides he's going to come and do battle with him. So the same thing happens. God wins. And, uh, and so his land now becomes their land. And so if you, uh, if you have a map in the back of your Bible and you can flip to it quickly, you'll want a map of the, the, uh, 12 tribes of Israel. I'd show you mine, but that'd be useless from this distance. There are several lands. When, when you look at the, at how it turned out, the lands that the nation of Israel owned and the various tribes owned, right in the middle of that map, you'll see the Jordan River running from the Sea of Galilee south into the Dead Sea. That kind of divides it. Everything to the east is what we just read about. In my map, it has Reuben listed there. So the tribe of Reuben, that became their land. That's where they lived. And then just north of that, Gad, that's where they lived. And then north of that was the eastern side of Manasseh. So all of this land that Og and Sihon uh, were willing to fight over ends up in Israel's hands. And that's where the people live, right? So that becomes their neighborhood. So why did all that happen? For his steadfast love endures forever. This is God saving the day. This is God winning, right? So if we look back at 17, to him who struck down kings. Verse 18, and killed mighty kings. Verse 19, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Remember that deal? Oh, Sion should have taken that deal. He didn't take the deal. Ends up losing the whole place and his life. Verse 20, Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever and gave their land as a heritage for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. Not only does 
Is God sovereign over creation and therefore we should thank him? Not only does he provide redemption for his people and therefore we should thank him greatly, but he also provides protection and provision. God protects and he provides for his people. He does so abundantly. And it doesn't always seem like it at the time, maybe. But he does it. He provides and he protects. And let's continue on. Verse 23. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. You see how it's changed? How the poem has changed right now? He's been talking about what God has done for them, for them, for them, for them. Verse 23, it is he who remembered us in our low estate. He's starting to talk about his own situation, the situation of his own time that he's living through. It is he who remembered us in our low estate for his steadfast love endures forever. And he rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. And he gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. This isn't just a history lesson. He's not just recycling these things in his mind so that he can pass the test, right? He's recycling them in his mind because it's a demonstration of God's faithfulness. He took care of them. He will take care of me. I've seen him take care of me. He will continue to take care of me. For his steadfast love endures forever. He gives us his tender, tender care, and we need to thank him for his tender care for us. That's the way he looks out for us. I think about my own situation. I think about even the birth of our baby, and I won't give you any details. <laughs> I, I, I maybe have shared too many d- details in various contexts already. But I think about God's provision and his tender care in, in the birth of our little one. He took care of us. He takes care of us. And he does that. And sometimes it seems like, man, God, you really dropped the ball on that one. You really could have done that one better. And we see in the long run, wow, he really was taking care of us. And he was providing for us. God is very tender in his care. He doesn't just work on broad uh, political uh, realms, right? He doesn't just deliver nations from other nations. He does that. He doesn't just just kill kings for the sake of other kings or or he doesn't just do big stuff like that. He works in my life for his steadfast love endures forever. And he works in your life and his steadfast love endures forever. And so as we finish up our morning, I want us to think about what God has done for us, starting from creation. The fact that we get to live in this creation that is suitable for us. We're able to live. Imagine if things changed all of a sudden and the atmosphere changed. And we all, I mean, it's possible. It's, it's not possible. It's not going to happen. What I mean is, if one little factor were changed, life would stop. And God doesn't do that. He keeps it going. And he keeps it going. He is sovereign over creation. And he offers us this wonderful redemption in Christ. And there's never a point where we exhaust giving thanks for that redemption. Can you imagine? I, I, I've thanked God enough for saving me. I can move on to other things. I don't, I don't need to thank him anymore because I'm all good with that. I, no, that's it's ridiculous. We can always and should always and will always into eternity give God thanks for redemption. He protects and he provides for his people. And he gives tender care for your specific situation. That's the God we know. That's the God we serve. And as we close here, look at verse 26 in Psalm 136. Give thanks to the God of heaven. 
for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you thanks. And I can think of numerous, numerous things to give you thanks for right now. And I know there are many more that I have not thought of, that I will think of. Help me to think of them. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for this offer of redemption that there is in Christ. We thank you for the fact that you have created us, for the fact that you're sovereign over all of this and none of this is happening. None of the world events or political events or family events or health events happen beyond your control. You are sovereign over them. They didn't catch you by surprise and you're not, uh, you're not helpless to, to make something change. You are sovereign. And you're sovereign over the hurts in my life. And you're sovereign over the joys in my life. And I give you thanks for that. And Lord, I can take such great comfort knowing that the God of the universe who cared enough to make me and cares enough to take care of me works in a sovereign way over the events of my life. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your work here, even this morning. Lord, I pray that, that uh, we would go away a thankful people, that we would rejoice that we get to know you, that we would treat one another differently because we are so thankful to you for what you have done in our lives that we would never even think of mistreating our brother. We would never even mis- uh, think of mistreating our neighbor or a friend because you have been so good and gracious to us. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.